You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Don't forget to keep your streak alive on Wordle. This is your reminder, all right? Anyway, last week we started out this two-week series on words count, and, uh, you know, I get a lot of feedback on various messages, um, you know, hit and miss. This one has been overwhelming. I mean, I've had so many people talk to me about last week's message on uh, those words that are corrupting and how guilty we all are, myself included, of using corrupting words. And we talked, uh, we had this little balancing scale that we used as our as an illustration, and we talked a lot about how important it was for us to realize the power and the weight that our words carry. And what we tend to do uh, in our conversations, and we said that, that well, not what we tend to do, but what we found was that in a Gottman study, that the healthiest companies, the most highly achieving teams and companies, the most thriving marriages, the best relationships, and certainly the best churches have a a balance of five positive words to one negative word. Five positive words to one negative word. These are, these are the, the relationships that thrive. These are the marriages that are high-capacity marriages that you just look at it and you go, that's the kind of marriage I want. They have a good balance. They They spend a lot of time encouraging one another, and occasionally there's a need to have one of those other conversations. But our tendency in this Gottman study, what they realized was the fact that we have a tendency to lean more on the negative side, and we give out at least three negative words or three negative conversations to the one. And what this creates is it creates an an imbalance and an unhealthy balance in our relationships. And so hopefully this week, you went about your relationships realizing how your words matter and how much your words matter. And I don't know if you did this, you know, consciously like writing it down or just subconsciously as you thought about it uh, throughout the day. Did you think about the ratio? Did you think about how many positive words you were speaking versus the number of negative words that we speak? And what we tend to do is we tend to want to to overload the front side of this, the positive side, when we're really conscious of it. It's like when your wife gets up in the morning, you know, and and, and she walks into the the living room maybe, and she's gotten ready, and you look at her and you go, oh, baby, you look so good. You are just so beautiful this morning. And I just want to tell you, um, man, I just cannot believe what an amazing wife you are and all the wonderful things you do to make my life better. And I'll tell you what, I I know that you're probably the best employee they have out there where you work. Honey, you do a great job raising the kids and speaking life into them. And and man, I hope they get all of your good traits and none of my bad traits. And, And honey, I just cannot believe that God blessed me with you. And this is all before seven o'clock in the morning. And when they get home in the afternoon, You unload the other side and never go back to this side. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about trying to just get them in early in the day so you can get your five-to-one ratio started in the right way. No, this needs to be a natural thing that we just kind of, as we go about our day, we're looking for ways that we can speak positivity into the lives of those around us. And what we've learned is that we use words more than ever before. 
Over the last few years, uh, since we've gone through the pandemic and the way life has really shifted a lot to online, and, and certainly some of you spent so much time on Zoom calls and, and through email conversations and through text messages and various other written forms of communication, maybe more than in person, what has happened is we have used, started using words more than ever before. As a matter of fact, in 2020, it was discovered that 306 billion emails is what we tend, we're sending out. 306 billion emails. And you were getting a lot of emails and you were sending out a lot of emails. Also, we learned that 4.5 trillion text messages were being sent out. 4.5 trillion, that is a lot of text messages. And some of you are really good at this and some of us are not so good. I see people on a smartphone just texting and not even looking down, and it comes out perfect. Man, I'm like, my thumbs must be too big or autocorrect just does not work well for me, but I'm typing stuff in, and, and I'm like, well, I've got to look at every single word or every single letter. But some of you are great at this, and so you can, keep, you can kind of keep that number up there pretty high. Also, 500 million tweets have been sent out or were sent out in 2020, and then... 525 million hours of YouTube had been, was being consumed. 525, this is people supposed to be on a Zoom call and they got their, their app, their iPad over to the side and they're watching, you know, they're binging on something while they're on a, a, a Zoom call or they got their video turned off so they can do whatever they want. And then listen to this, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data in 2020. This was not for the whole year. This was per day. This was the amount of information that was being sent out and consumed per day. That is a lot of words. So we are using more words than ever before, and we are thinking less about our words than ever before. Because here's the thing. Facebook is not the same as a face-to-face -face conversation, right? We will tend to put words out there uh, you'll, you'll have something that comes up in your, in your, your newsfeed, maybe on social media, whether it's Instagram or whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever other one there might be. And we'll tend to comment on that, thinking that it's just between you and that person reading it. Somebody you probably don't even know or not even really don't even know how you're affiliated with. How in the world did that get in my newsfeed? And you start getting to this back and forth and you're like, you don't maybe think about it but everybody else is watching that conversation. And we're like, we think that face-to-face, -face, or we think that Facebook is a real legitimate type of conversation, but it's not. It's not the same. We're using words more than ever before, and we're thinking less about our words. We'll fire off a text or an email before we give it careful thought. And that's what I want us to talk about today, is how we can shift from this negative side, being so negative in all of our communication to really getting this thing back into balance the way that I believe Jesus would be pleased with. John Piper says this. He says that the battle for the purity of our mouths begins in our hearts. We talked about that a little bit last week, but I found this quote by him this week. And I thought that is really good because if we want our words to count and we want our words to be of benefit, as we'll talk about today, we need to understand that the purity of our mouths begins in our hearts. And when we have things that we're spewing out that are unwholesome, things that are corrupting, as we talked about, 
then we need to examine our hearts and find out why is it that that comes out of me so quickly and so easily. Because as we saw last week, Solomon said, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it or those who love lots of words will eat its fruits. And as I was thinking about this even more this week, I was thinking about how much our words have an aftertaste. Have you ever eaten something and when you eat it, you go, that was a really bad aftertaste. Like artificial sweeteners do that. You know, they have a, a just a bad, they kind of make something taste okay to begin with, but at, later on you got this, something going on in your mouth and you go, mm, that is just a bad aftertaste. That's the way a lot of our words are. We, we speak them out and when we're first saying them, they make us feel better and they may taste good because they kind of allow, allowed us to just get that off of our chest. But the longer they go out there, the longer they sit out there, the worse the aftertaste becomes to us. And the worse we feel about what we said, and the more we wish we could take those words back, things that we can never take back. You can never put toothpaste back into the tube. You know that? That's the same way with our words. We spit them out. We can never take them back. They are out there lasting, and they have a bad aftertaste. And then there are words that we speak. They may not even have the greatest taste, but as we'll discover today, they were of good benefit. And later on, the aftertaste is actually better than it was when we had that conversation because there is a time to have this conversation. There is a time that we need to have this conversation and we need to be a correcting voice in the void, in the life of a wayward Christian. We need to be a correcting voice in the life of someone who is living immorally in their life, somebody who is not doing what they ought to do. There's a time for this. And those are hard words to speak, but in the end, they have a great aftertaste because of what they produce. And so today, I want us to see what the benefit is when we talk about the fruit of our words and the goodness of that fruit of our words. And so we looked at Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 last week, and here's what Paul said. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. We spent a lot of time on that last week. This week, I want us to look at this portion but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And there's a few things about this second half of this verse that I want us to look at. The first part is this, but only such as is good. Only such as is good. And what this is, is here's how I've worded it. Our words are beneficial when they're good. Our words are beneficial when they're good. And this little word that in that, in that passage, this little word actually means morally good for the hearer. Morally good for the hearer. They are life-giving words as opposed to the corrupting words that we talked about last week. They are morally good for the hearer. And there are people in your life and in my life that need to hear good words from us because we are being inundated with what our culture would define as good words. They are saying, you just do whatever makes you feel good. You deserve to be happy. You were unhappy long enough. You deserve to be happy. So you just do whatever is good for you, but it is not morally good for you. It is not spiritually of benefit to you. And so what we need is we need voices in our lives. I need these, you need these. We need people that will give good words to us that are morally good. Sometimes they are correcting words. Sometimes they're just encouraging words to help us stay on the right 
course and stay on the narrow path. And so we need words that benefit us when they are good. Another thing that Paul talks about, but only such as good for building up, building up. Our words are beneficial when they build up. And here's what he means by that. This is the act of bringing something closer to completion. It's when you're driving by watching a new construction of a house go up. If you drive by there for like a month and you don't see any progress going on, you go, what is taking so long? But when you drive by there and you start to see the frame go up and you start to see the walls get put on, when you start to see the roof put on and you start to see everything take shape, that's what he's talking about. When we speak the right kind of words, they build someone up and they bring them more to a place of fullness and completion as if the construction of a building is being done. We have words that we think are good for building up, but really they tear down. Sometimes we just put words out there and we think this is what they need to hear. But as we'll talk about in a few moments, maybe they need to hear it, but maybe just not in that way or at that time. But our words should build up. In this sense, we should use them to complete the hearer and try to construct them in a positive way. And not to destroy people with our words, but our words need to be so that we can build them up and bring them to a place of maturity, if you will spiritual maturity, bring them closer to Christ. He goes on. He says, good for building up as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. Our words are beneficial when they build others up. And this is how the NIV, if you have used that translation, they say, or they say in that translation, according to their need. But what we tend to do is we use our words according to our need or our desire or our agenda. We use our words in order to make ourselves known and make our side of the argument known. And so what he's saying, this is in, a, in opposition to our agenda and our need. We're speaking words that fit the occasion according to the need of the person who is listening. I would say this requires some level of relationship. This requires some level of relationship. You know, it says, randomly show up to someone's house or randomly show up uh, on, on somebody's, you know, Twitter feed or news feed or whatever and start speaking these words to them because this kind of, these kinds of words and this kind of conversation requires a relationship. And I would put it this way. The weight of the truth that you need to speak to someone needs to be supported by a relationship that is strong enough to support the truth to support the weight of that truth. When I was a youth pastor for 18 years, we would have youth leaders that would come in and many of them would love to just correct, correct, correct. And all they wanted to do was be the police of the youth group. And, and so they were constantly the ones that were just going around, just getting on to all the kids. And I would have to pull them over to the side and I'd say, listen, I appreciate what you're doing. They shouldn't be making out in the closet. I know that and I, I appreciate that. But what I need you to do is I need you to build a relationship that is strong enough to support the weight of the truth that you're gonna to deliver to them. That's why we believe small groups are so important because you build relationships and then on occasion, when you need to give some correcting words or when you need to speak some words according to someone's need, you've got a relationship there that is strong enough to support the weight of the words that you're about to speak to them. 
And that's when our words will carry the most weight and have the best benefit for the person we're speaking that to. We're building them up according to their needs. And he finishes up the verse and he says this, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Not condemnation, grace to those who hear. Our words are beneficial when they are graceful. This little Greek word that means the resulting activity that is necessary consequence of this genuine, beneficial goodwill towards somebody, meaning that when you speak something to someone, whether it's encouraging words, correcting words, whatever they may be, you are doing that for their goodwill because you know if they continue to go the way they're going, they're headed for destruction or you need to encourage them to stay going the way they're going. And so it's the outworking of God's goodwill in their lives. And so our words should always confer some level of benefit to the person that we're speaking to, that we're emailing, that we're text messaging, whatever the case may be. We need to be graceful in the words that we impart to one another. Our tendency is to always assume the worst about the other person, right? You read something and and you just listen to what they say, or you read what they say, or you listen to what they say, and we just wanna spew out whatever we want to correct them with. And they're not very graceful words. And so and sometimes in family dynamics, this gets a little weird because we just wanna always speak our knowledge. You go to, you know, you go to Thanksgiving meal and you got that brother-in-law that shows up and he knows everything. And he lets everybody in the room know he knows everything. And you would just love to correct him on one thing just to bring him down a time a little bit, you know, just to let him know you're not perfect and we all know you're not perfect, but we need our words to be graceful even for someone like that. So four things that I want you to consider as we look at this verse or as we looked at this verse and we see that our words need to be good for building up, words that fit the occasion and words that can give grace to those who hear. So four things that I've just written down, some things that I think are very practical for us to think about. And number one is this, the content of our words. We know that our words are more than content, but at the very basic level, they are carrying content. Will what I'm about to say benefit the spiritual development of the hearer? Will the words that I'm about to say be of any level of spiritual benefit to the person that will hear this. So we need to think about what we say. Think about the words that we use. We don't want to be misunderstood in our words. Here's how Paul worded it over in 1 Thessalonians. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So make sure that your words have the right content. Make sure that they are building words, words that are building up. There are occasions when we need to use words that may not feel like they're very beneficial. They may not even at times feel good at the time, but in the end, they are of spiritual benefit. I've had people have these conversations with me before and they sit across the office or they sit across the desk or they sit across the table and they just say, hey, I just wanna point something out in your life that I think you need to be conscious of. And I, there are times when I invite that conversation into my life. And we need to have those conversations that are good for us, that, that build us up, that construct us into a better follower of Jesus. 
and they're of spiritual benefit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, all discipline, it does not seem pleasant in the moment. When somebody comes to you and they correct you, when they try to build you up in the faith and in building you up, they point something out to you that you need to stop doing. It does not feel good in the moment, but later it yields peaceful, a peaceful fruit, good aftertaste of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So occasionally, the content of our words needs to be correcting. It needs to maybe kind of feel negative, but in the end, it becomes the positive. It becomes the building up. It becomes the spiritual edification that we need. Because if not, we will continue to go down a road headed for destruction. The next thing that I think is very important is the timing of our words. The timing of our words. Is this the right time to say this? Is this the right time to say this word? Now, when I'm doing premarital counseling, I talk about this a lot. I talk about this because we, you know, we want to fix everything. Sometimes it's not just, is this the right time? It's also, am I the right person to say this? Let me just share this verse and I'll, and I'll elaborate. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This week, as Tom and I were discussing last week's message on the podcast, um, he brought this verse up, and I thought, that is a great verse to fit in what my point number two was on this. If you're not listening to our podcast, we every week we rehash the message. And so if you want to go to iTunes and Spotify or our website, you can follow that. It's about a 20-minute podcast that we do each week. But he said, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But we, we tend to do is we put the slow in here. We're slow to hear, quick to speak, and we're quick to anger. But when it, when it comes to life and when it comes to all of our relationships, we need to do what, what is said right here, slow or quick to hear. We need to make sure that we are a good, good listener. And this takes work. It's hard work to listen. Because our thing is, we listen so much faster than anybody can talk. I'm a fast talker. I know that. But even as fast as I talk, your minds can wonder about all kinds of other things. Why? Because you can listen a whole lot faster than I can talk. And so our thing is, is we are quick to let our mind wonder and formulate responses and formulate our defense rather than listening to the argument or the, the, the problem that the other person is conveying to us. And when it comes to marriage, sometimes there's two different ways that we approach conflict. Sometimes we're the attacker. Not necessarily a, always a negative thing. We're just kind of like, we're aggressive in wanting to fix the problem. Okay, no, 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 we're gonna have this conversation now. We've gotta get this fixed now. And then there's the other person who may not be an attacker. They may not wanna fix it right away. They're the escaper. And their tendency is to kind of, hey, I just wanna kind of close off for right now. I don't wanna talk to you about this. I just need to process it for a little while. And so what this person might tend to do is run to the bedroom and slam the door or run out the door and go for a drive. And the other person is like banging on the door saying, no, you open this door up right now. We're gonna talk about this. We're gonna fix it. We're gonna fix it right now. We're not going to bed angry. Or they'll run out the door and flag them down or they'll go chase them. But what we need to do is this. We need to just take a, take a moment, take a deep breath, and we're gonna come back together to try to achieve peace 
But we're gonna do that when the tempers are down, when the emotions are lower, and we can think rationally through it. And, and those of you who are the attackers, you're going, oh, I can think rationally. I, everything I'm saying is gonna be rational. But it may not be received rationally because it's not the right time. You've got to give them time to process what it is that has just taken place. And so be quick to hear. Make sure you take time to listen. And sometimes I'll tell people, do an exercise. Take like your phone out, put a two-minute timer on it. And you go, okay, you've got two minutes to tell me what's going on. Tell me what's wrong. What have I done wrong? What, what, what's your perception of what's taking place here? You've got two minutes and they go. And if you're the escaper, you have to talk two minutes. Two minutes, you've got to fill it up with here's why I responded the way I responded. Here's why I said what I said. Here's why these emotions are running rapid, rampant in my body right now. And for two minutes, that person speaks and the other person has to hear what they have to say. And then when two minutes is over, the other person has to talk. And they got to share for two minutes Make sure you understood what the person said, and then you talk. And so you go back and forth, and you try to achieve peace in this. So we're quick to hear, we're slow to speak, and it helps us to become slow to anger. Timing is so important. The next thing is this, it's tone. How will the tone of what I'm about to say cause what I'm about to say to be received? Weren't you so glad when they introduced the emoji to text messaging? It was such a great, refreshing thing. When you would read a text, you would go, I read the content, but I'm not sure I understand the mood behind the words. And boy, when they started adding in the smiley face, it was like, oh, this is a joke. <laughs> yeah, my golf shot not want so bad. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So we're using the tone. And so it's so important that we make sure that the tone of what we're saying, because there's, there's that tone that you've heard people use, and it's condescending. <laughs> you know I'm Miss Livy. I know him too. I know him too. Uh, but they're condescending. It's like, I mean, what you said was probably right, but I'm not going to listen because it just sounded like you thought you were my dad, and you're not my dad, and you're not going to talk down to me like that. You're not going to belittle me like that and put yourself up somewhere. So our tone matters. Don't be condescending. And some people are condescending, and they don't even know it. And they need to be told in a loving way, in the right moment, in the right tone. Here's what the Bible says. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. This just means it's twisted, crooked. It's, it's a spiteful tone. But what the writer of Proverbs is saying, he says, there's a gentle way to say things. There are there are people that can correct you and me, and we walk away going, I think I just got in trouble. But it felt good. I mean, I feel like they had my best interest at heart. I feel like I could go away and do what they just suggested that I do because it was gentle. And it was the way it came across was constructive. And I don't mind that kind of advice. I don't mind that kind of person speaking into my life. And the fourth thing is this it's the motivation. Why do I feel the need to say what I'm about to say? That we may give grace to those who hear. This ought to be our motivation in everything. It ought to be so that we can benefit the hearer. It ought to be so that we can give grace to those 
who hear it so that we can point people to our Lord and Savior. Your words count, my words count. They carry weight to them. And all of it should be pointing people to our Savior if you're a follower of Jesus. So let me just ask you this, for you to ponder this. What if your words were not for your benefit, but solely for the benefit of others? What if all the words that we use should never be considered for our own benefit, but only for the benefit of the hearer? Would it change the way we talk? Would it change the words we use? Would it change our tone? Would it change the timing? Would it change all of those things if we just considered all the words that we use were the purpose of the hearer and not for our own agendas? This type of communication requires me to think more about the other person than I do myself, which is the theme of what Jesus talked about and what Paul wrote about in all of his writing and what James wrote about. This is it. It requires me to think more about the person that I'm speaking to than I do about my own personal agenda and my own personal good. It's for the good of the other. And let me just tell you this. This is work. It's work. It's hard work. If you've been married more than about 12 minutes, you know how hard work this is. It's like, man, I would like to say something right now, but my goodness, I am not going to say it because it's the not, not the right time. As a matter of fact, some of the things we should probably never say, right? We should never say it. We should just keep it to ourselves because we're probably wrong in even thinking about saying it. So it's working. If you stood before a preacher one day and he told you, listen, marriage is going to be a cakewalk. This is going to be the easiest thing you'll ever do in life is to live in a house with somebody as a married couple, and you've got no way of escape. So some way that's going to cost you a bunch of money. This is going to be the life right here. If he said that to you, he was lying. He was lying. That's what makes marriage so beautiful is it is a lot of work. And yet she stayed married to me 34 years so far. Every day before our anniversary, we go, well, one more day and we can make it to the next year. And as of this past week, we made it 34 years. And so, but it's work, it's work. It's not always saying everything you think, but sometimes you need to have those difficult conversations. With your kids, it's the same way. With any relationship you have, it's the same way. It is work. So let me ask you this, we finish up. Where can you apply to the five to one ratio this week? I'm not asking you to go out and try this everywhere because it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. I'm just asking you to think about one relationship that you can work on a five to one ratio. Five positive communicating words, conversations to everyone. Where can you apply this balance? Because here's the thing. We should use our words for the purpose of building others up and pointing others up. As a follower of Jesus, that's your number one job with your words. It's building one another up and pointing others up toward our Savior. And so today, let me just encourage you, find a place to provide, to, to apply the five to one ratio and then always try to be building others up and pointing others uh, so let's all stand together. Our Heavenly Father, our prayer is that you'll help us
to guard our tongue. It is a powerful, powerful thing. And it comes from a heart that is either right with you or not right with you. And so I pray, God, that we'll examine that, but God will count all of our words and that we'll speak life-giving words. And if there's somebody here today that needs life from Jesus, they need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that today would be the day for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.